0: This message was recorded at Fillmore Baptist Church in Princeton, Louisiana. Our goal is to faithfully preach the Word of God for the salvation of sinners, the strengthening of believers, and the glory of God. Please visit our website at www.fillmorebaptist.org and listen for more information at the conclusion of this message.
1: Uh, If if y'all would, would you turn with me to to Matthew 19 this morning? Scripture reading comes from the 19th chapter of Matthew, and we're going to read the first 15 verses. Yeah, Matthew nineteen one through 15. Would you stand? <clears throat> now it came to pass, when Jesus had finished these sayings, that he departed from Galilee and came to the region... Of Judea beyond the Jordan. And great multitudes followed him, and he healed them there. The Pharisees also came to him, testing him, and saying to him, Is it lawful for a man to divorce his wife for just any reason? And he answered and said to them, Have you not read that he who made them at the beginning made them male and female? And said, For this reason a man shall leave his father and mother, and be joined to his wife, and the two shall become one flesh. So then they are no longer two, but one flesh. Therefore, what God has joined together, let not man separate. They said to him, Why then did Moses command to give a certificate of divorce and to put her away? He said to them, Moses, because of the hardness of your hearts, permitted you to divorce your wives. But from the beginning, it was not so. And I say to you, whoever divorces his wife except for sexual immorality and marries another commits adultery. And whoever marries her who is divorced commits adultery. His disciples said to him, if such is the case of the man with his wife, it is better not to marry. But he said to them, all cannot accept this saying, but only those to whom it has been given. For there are eunuchs who were born thus from their mother's womb, and there are eunuchs who were made eunuchs by men, and there are eunuchs who have been who have made themselves eunuchs by the kingdom of heaven's sake. He who is able to accept it, let him accept it. Then little children were brought to him that he might put his hands on them and pray, but the disciples rebuked them. But Jesus said, Let the little children come to me, and do not forbid them, for of such is the kingdom of heaven. And he laid his hands on them and departed from there.
0: Heavenly Father, again we come in the name of Jesus. Lord, looking to You and uh, Lord, asking that You grant understanding of Your Word this morning. Please bless uh, the proclamation of Your Word and the hearing of Your Word. And Lord, uh, use Your truth here to, to change us. We pray, Lord, that we won't take any of these things lightly. We live in a time and in a culture where... Uh, marriage is being devalued. <clears throat> Lord, uh, may we as Christians uh, display the right understanding and articulate the right understanding of marriage relationship. And Lord, may, in doing that, may we accurately reflect your steadfast love for your people. Married and unmarried. May it all be for your glory and honor. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. 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 Well, there's much, uh, obviously, that could be said about this topic, and, and I'm going to try to Lord willing, cover a lot of uh, just a lot of ground, just because that's what's before us here, um, and and I can see at least uh, in my mind where it would generate a lot of questions. And so, what I usually try to do is on Sunday evenings give opportunity for uh, to, to address those kinds of things. Uh, sometimes questions specifically from the text arise, or a question arises that that maybe the particular text doesn't cover, but something to do with the same topic, and we try to we try to deal with that. Well, tonight we're not going to be able to do that, and next Sunday we're not going to be able to do that. So, uh, But Lord willing, when we return to the evening service in a couple of weeks, um, even though other messages will have been presented by then, um, if if you have questions concerning what's said this morning, and, and we don't have opportunity for some reason between now and then, then, then keep them in mind, Make make a note of it. And uh, and we'll try to uh, we'll try to deal with them. This is an extremely important issue. Same time, having said all that, uh, when we look at this passage and what the Lord says concerning marriage, I want us to understand that the the importance of it, the significance of it, lies in what it portrays, what it represents, what what it pictures. Uh, because some of you have. Uh, a lot of quite a few of uh, uh, quite a few single people in this room and, and it 's possible that you would already be thinking okay here comes a, here comes a sermon on marriage and, and uh, this is not going to benefit me. Uh, well, actually no it, it understanding marriage properly helps us uh, understand the relationship between Christ and his church i mean that that is really what marriage is all about and i find, find it fascinating uh, that it is such an important issue this marriage relationship between a man and a woman that the Bible begins with it and ends with it. As, as soon as God creates he performs the first marriage. It is a uh, a relationship instituted by God. It is not the result of societal evolution. It's, it, we didn't we didn't come to this through trial and error and figure out that this is the best way to go, um, or at least the more practical in terms of taking care of kids and so forth. No, this is instituted by God. God invented marriage and he designed it to to be a certain way and to to because it represents a specific thing, and that again is his relationship with his people so the better we understand it. God's view of it, God's design for it, then the better we will understand uh, how God deals with us as people, whether you're married or single. Because if you're a Christian here this morning, if you're saved by the grace of God, if you know Jesus Christ, then you are part of His bride. So you are married, even if you're a single person this morning. You're married to Christ. All right, um, in the first verse, there's just a I just want to mention this before we move into the marriage, but there, there's just a transition taking place here because, as we've already seen, Jesus is on making his way to uh, Judea, to Jerusalem specifically to there be um, betrayed uh, and crucified and to rise again. So he is now making his way uh, to Judea for that purpose. So we're told in the first verse. That after these sayings, and that is uh, after following the discourse that we covered in the last chapter, um, talking about uh, humility. After these sayings, he departed from Galilee and came to the region of Judea beyond the Jordan. And great multitudes followed him, verse 2. And another thing I want to note here, uh, because again, this is an example uh, for us. Great multitudes followed him and he healed them there. Now, interestingly, uh, Mark in, in Mark chapter ten says that he 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 continued teaching them, and this is what we've seen all the way through the Gospels that Jesus is constantly uh, serving and teaching, serving and teaching. And and the word for healing here, incidentally, does mean to serve. It's it's the word from which we get our word therapy. But the idea behind it is is serving, and so Jesus is constantly serving. And teaching, serving and teaching, deeds and doctrine. And and that's the model for the church as well. That's what we're put here to do. Um, serve and teach, teach the Word of God. Verse 3, the Pharisees also came to him, testing him. So now you have multitudes of people, according to uh, Matthew in verse 2, following him. And Matthew says the Pharisees also came. So you've got, you've got a mixture here. Uh, in the crowd of people who are following Jesus because they want to, uh, to receive from Him. They want to hear His teaching. They want to be healed by Him. And then amongst that crowd, you've got hypocrites. Such is still the case today and those who uh, claim to follow Christ. So, again, people following Him. Uh, some believers, some just wanting to see what they can get. And some, uh, the Pharisees who are there to put him to the test. Verse three. Pharisees also came to him, testing him and saying to him, "Is it lawful for a man to divorce his wife for just any reason?" Now, here's here's where the subject of marriage comes up, and specifically divorce. it you know has to we have to talk about marriage in order to talk about divorce. Um. And the question is raised by the Pharisees: Is it lawful for a man to divorce his wife for? Just any reason. Now, there, there's a history behind this. There, there, there were different schools of thought, rabbinical schools of thought, uh, in Jesus' day that that taught different things uh, concerning this. Um, about uh, that had different interpretations of what the scripture says. Let me just quickly read you a portion from Deuteronomy 24:1 because this is going to kind of be the basis of uh, their thinking here. Uh, and and it's I'm going to. Stop in the middle of a sentence here, basically. But verse 1, when a man takes a wife and marries her, and it happens that she finds no favor in his eyes because he has found some uncleanness in her and writes her a certificate of divorce, puts it in her hand, sends her out of his house. And then that goes on with the... uh, Scenario there, but but the point is that Moses here describes a situation where a husband is unpleased with a wife and gives her a certificate of divorce. Now this is the background of the question, and as I said a moment ago, there were different uh, uh, interpretations. What what is meant by uh, the the husband being unpleased, finding something unfavorable with the wife, and there were different schools of thought there. Uh, one. Uh, The school named after Rabbi Hillel held that a man might divorce his wife for any reason which rendered her distasteful to him. So there you basically have, uh, as the Pharisees phrased the question here, divorce for just any cause. And then there was another school of thought, a rabbinical school, Shammai, that taught that divorce was allowable only... In case of unchastity. So there had to be some, you know, uh, something uh, at play here fornication, adultery, and that was the only way that particular school of thought saw uh, divorce as being justified. But in either case, wherever you stand there, uh, Moses gave instruction concerning divorce, right? And what the Pharisees are doing here. Um, again, with these, these different schools of thought in mind, and uh, others as well, and there was one, and I forget the name of the rabbi, but even taught that you could divorce a wife if she ruined a dish. In, in other words, she brought you something to eat and it was terrible. Uh, at that, at that point, you were justified in divorcing her. So they, they've got these different interpretations in mind, and what they're trying to do is ensnare Jesus like they did so many times. Where is he going to stand? On this issue. Is it lawful? Is it uh, legal, lawful for a man to divorce his wife for just any reason? Now, here's Jesus' response. And he answered and said to them, Have you not read that he who made?" By the way, that's... that's Jesus starts that way a lot of times. Have you not? Read? It's it's written. God has given us instruction, and, and that is a, that's just a, a obvious way a place to start a lot of times. Haven't you read? Haven't you read the scripture? The scripture deals with this. Have you not read that he who made them at the beginning made them male and female, and said for this reason a man shall leave his father and mother and be joined to his wife, and the two shall become one flesh. So then, they are no longer two, but one flesh. Therefore, what God has joined together, let not men separate. Now, let me say, before I continue on, let me say a few things here about um, God's design. This is what Jesus is is, uh, talking about here. Um, Divorce and the intention of God. In marriage. So I'm going to make that the first point there. Divorce and the intention of God in, in marriage. So what we're talking about here is the nature and, and purpose of marriage. Well, first of all, as I mentioned earlier, it has its origin in, in the mind of God. God ordained marriage. Um, I think it would be proper to say, as I said a while ago, that He performed the first marriage ceremony. That's, that's awesome, isn't it? Uh, now, I didn't, I didn't get to uh, uh, be part of this, um, but my grandfather was a pastor. And uh, in our family, you know, just he married just about everybody from my generation. The reason I didn't get to be a part of that is because he died a few years before I was married. Uh, but it was, it was, you know, that's what all the grandkids and, and I'm, I'm, the children wanted. It was a neat thing to be married by the grandfather who was a pastor. Well, imagine, you know, Adam and Eve. Um, so who married you two? Um, God. <laughs> god <laughs> that's pretty awesome god God designed marriage, He instituted it. It came from his mind um the origin of marriage is in the mind of god it is It is not uh, a product of man's thinking invention uh that's that's important because uh we didn't bring it into existence. We didn't create it. We didn't design it. And we can't throw it away either without consequence. Because what we're doing is trashing something that God has ordained for a specific purpose. Let me go just a, a little bit here through what I would call the, the definition of marriage um, that I think Jesus is spelling out here. Uh, first of all, it's, it's, marriage is a relationship between one man and one woman. That's pretty plain and simple, right? But, but let me repeat it. Marriage, and that's what we're talking about, marriage is a relationship between one man and one woman. Anything else is not marriage. Let's let's don't fall into the trap of, of using terminology like same-sex marriage. There's no such thing if we're going to use a scriptural definition of marriage. Here's what Jesus says, Have you not read, He who made them at the beginning made them male and female? Those those two components, okay, are essential for a a genuine marriage between human beings. He made them male and female, and said, for this reason, for this reason. Now he's quoting here from Genesis. For this reason, a man shall leave his father and mother and be joined to his wife. So again, those, those two components are there. You have a man and his wife, which is by definition a woman. A man leaves his father and mother and is joined to, that's marriage, he's joined to his wife. And the two become one flesh. That's, that's Genesis 2.24 that Jesus is quoting there. Now again, just to just to make the point once more concerning origin, this this is significant because Jesus roots his his argument or his teaching concerning marriage in creation. You know, he he doesn't just go into well, you know, um, here's my opinion on divorce because this or that. You know, because um, well, it does it doesn't you know it hurts people and it doesn't work out well and blah blah blah. No, he take, He goes right back to God's design. He he roots his his answer, his response to their question, in the creation story, which incidentally uh, tells me that Jesus believes believed that creation, the account of creation we have in the first few couple of chapters of the first couple of chapters rather of Genesis, is history. It's historical fact. Anytime you see, and he does, and anytime you see Jesus talk about uh, creation, like he does here, or speak about Adam and Eve, like he does here and elsewhere, he he speaks about them as though they were real historical figures, and so he he obviously believed that creation happened. God created all things, just like it says he did. In Genesis 1 in Genesis 2. And so he's rooting his argument there and he's, he's coming from there to describe God's real design and intention for marriage. It is a relationship between one man and one woman. And the man leaves his father and mother and, and is joined to his wife. Or the old uh, King James says, cleaves unto his wife. I mean, there, there is a real joining there, a real union that takes place there. And the two shall become one flesh. And that is quite uh, literal as well as um, uh, m- you know metaphorically in other ways. So, Jesus says, he's just now quoted Genesis 2.24, now he says, so they are n- no longer two, but one flesh. That's, that's marriage. The, the two become one. You're joined in covenant union. One man, one woman joined together in covenant. And they said to him in verse 7, Why then did Moses command to give a certificate of divorce and to put her away? And I just read an example of that in Deuteronomy 24. And they think they've got Jesus here. Okay then, then why... You say that marriage was designed by God. It was for one man and one woman. It's designed to be, uh, the implication is, it's designed to be permanent. Why then did Moses give a command concerning divorce? Basically saying it's okay to divorce your wife, to put her away. In verse 8 is Jesus' answer. He said to them, Moses, because of the hardness of your hearts, permitted. Permitted. Moses, because of notice, they say he uh, in their in their remark there in verse seven. They refer to it as a command. When they when or why rather why then did Moses command to give a certificate of divorce? Jesus responds by saying, "Well, he, he permitted it, and the reason he permitted it was not because it was God's design, God's best way, if you want to say it that way, but because of the hardness." Of your heart. Moses, because of the hardness of your hearts, permitted you to divorce your wives, but from the beginning it was not so. What are you saying? But this is not God's original intention. Marriage is a lifelong relationship. Now I think that's important to remember as well, because again. Marriage between one man and one woman is a living picture of another relationship. The marriage between Christ and His church. And again, this is why this is uh, relevant for all of us, and not just those of us who are married. Because Jesus is married to the church. Well... Um, If God's intent is basically divorce for any reason, then where is our hope that we will remain married to Christ? Marriage is a lifelong commitment. And I I, I emphasize the term lifelong because I know it's it's neat to sing songs. I remember Randy Travis had a song years ago, Forever and Ever, Amen, a Paul Overstreet song. Um, and that's a nice thought and it's a pretty song and all that. But we're not going to be married forever and ever and ever. Amen. Okay? Um, there's not going to be any marriage or giving in marriage in heaven, Jesus said. It's, it's this life. But it is in, intended. If, if, we, if, if by permanent we mean this world, this life, then yes, it's intended to be a permanent relationship. A lifelong relationship. And marriage is over when we die. But here's the thing. Again, let's carry that over into the spiritual in, in, in reference to Christ in the church. It's Again, it's a lifelong covenant. And what kind of life does Christ give to us? Eternal life. Eternal life. And there's not going to be any, any voiding or any breakup of this marriage unless one of us dies. Either Jesus has to die or the church has to die. And Jesus has assured us that that is not going to happen. It's a lifelong covenant relationship. God, and here's the, the, again, the most important thing. God's relationship with His people, God's covenant with His people, the church, is an eternal, it's a lifelong relationship. Now that is pictured in the marriage between a woman and a man. So, uh, Human marriage, marriage between a woman and a man, is intended to be lifelong. That is, as long as we are alive in this world. So a man leaves his father and mother, cleaves unto his wife, is joined together with his wife. And Jesus again says uh, in verse 6, um, There are no longer two, but one flesh. <laughs> and again, if you carry all these things over into what marriage pictures, we are one with Christ. Now, as Christians, single people, you you may not have a spouse in this world, but if if you're saved, if you know the Lord, you are one with Christ. You have been joined together with Christ as part of a lifelong relationship. And in in that case, there is no end to the life. It's an eternal covenant relationship with Him. You are joined with Him, one with Him. We are one with Christ. And therefore, again, at verse 6, Jesus says, What God has joined together, let not man separate. Now, there's another point that needs to be made here before I go back down to verse 8 and 9. It's just fascinating to me that Jesus says this, um, just makes this kind of across-the-board statement about marriage. Therefore, what God has joined together, if if you're married, if you're married, then you have been joined together by God. What what you have done by going before maybe a church or before a judge or a justice of the peace is is just is just kind of like uh, work out in the natural what God has done. In your life, I mean, you know, in other words, He's put you together and, and you've, so, you know, so that's been done in the physical realm. It's kind of like when we were talking about, uh, church discipline. And Jesus said, whatever you bind on earth has been bound in heaven. Whatever you loose on earth has been loose in heaven. You're, you're just manifesting what, what God has done. If you're married, I'm gonna say this again. If you're married, God joins you together. That, that's, I, I, I think verse 6 plainly says that, and that's a, a truth that we need to get hold of, because I, I hear people all the time talk about, well, maybe I married the wrong person. My question to them is, you did say you're married, right? Are you married? Yes, we're married. You know, we, we, we went before church, and preacher married us, or we went to the justice of the peace, or whatever it was. Yeah, we got married. We're legally married. Then you're not married to the wrong person. If you're married, God joins you together. And Jesus said, what God has joined together, let not man separate. Now, this is God's intention from the beginning, Jesus says. Moses gave you uh, a bill of divorcement, permitted it because of the hardness of your heart. But from the beginning, it was not so. What God joined together in marriage, let not man separate. You don't have the authority to do that. You can do it if your heart is hardened to that point, um, but that's that's not God's intention for marriage. It's intended to be a lifelong covenant relationship. So God has joined you together. If if you're married, you have you're a woman here with a husband, or you're a husband or a man here with a uh, uh, a wife, then God has joined you together. So. I'm emphasizing this because there can be no thought about divorce. I mean, that has to be settled in a person's mind. Divorce is out of the picture. Why? Because we're married. Because what God, because of what Jesus says in verse 6. What God has joined together, let not man separate. Now, we're going to see in a moment there, there, there are exceptions. But the general rule is that divorce is out of the picture. And that's why we, we make vows like in sickness and in health, for better or for worse, rich, poor. That's why we make vows like that, because what we're saying is, now that we're going to be joined together, nothing can separate us. There, there, there is nothing that would cause us to separate. Now, let me go back to verse 8. That's a little bit about the nature of... of of marriage and the purpose also, that it reflects God's, uh, or pictures, you could say, in a a living way, um, Christ's relationship with His church, God's relationship with His people. Um, It's characterized, just as we've been talking about, characterized by commitment, devotion, loving devotion, uh, a marriage that is is, uh, good, godly. Obedient to uh, God's will, um, those things are present. Heartfelt devotion for one another. You can do things out of duty, but and and we do have to do things out of duty, but not merely out of duty. If it's just duty, you know, if I kiss my wife just because, well, that's what we're required to do. Um, First of all, she's not going to get a great deal of pleasure out of that. In fact, it's probably going to offend her. I'm not going to get a great deal of pleasure out of that. And most importantly, God is not going to be honored in that. There's mutual commitment, mutual heartfelt devotion between husband and wife. And that pictures, again, that pictures our relationship with Christ And that's what marriage is all about. Does Christ love the church? Does Christ love the church? Yes! Christ loved the church and He gave Himself for her. Right? So, there, that's what a husband is to do for his wife. Love your wife. Be given to her good. Does the church love Christ? Yes, the church loves Christ. Those who are truly saved love the Lord Jesus Christ and and live in submission to Him. And so we're told that wives should respect their husbands. Submit to their husbands, meaning to honor and respect them and follow their lead, their godly lead, as long as it is godly lead. Follow their lead. Why because that's what that's what the church does with Christ, the true church, and the marriage must picture that in order to fulfill its purpose now real quickly here i'll try to move through these quickly um, so that's a little bit about the nature and the purpose of marriage. Uh, when is divorce permitted because we do have an example here you know i've already I've already uh, tried to emphasize the fact that well the fact that I think Jesus emphasizes that Marriage is intended to be a permanent, a lifelong relationship. Nevertheless, again, um, look at verse 8. Jesus says, Moses, because of the hardness of your hearts, permitted you to divorce your wives. From the beginning, it was not so. Verse 9, and I say to you, whoever divorces his wife. Uh, Now, the point that he's making here is that you shouldn't be thinking about divorce. Forget it. Leave it out of the picture. From the beginning it was not so. And I say to you, however, in the process of saying that, he gives an exception. Verse 9, I say to you, whoever divorces his wife except for sexual immorality and marries another commits adultery and whoever marries her who is divorced commits adultery. All right, so Jesus makes a strong case there for the permanence of marriage. But again, in the process of doing that, He cites an exception. Whoever divorces his wife, commits adultery, etc., etc., except if it's done for, because of uh, sexual immorality. Now, the Greek word there is uh, porneia. It's where we get our term pornography. uh, The the definition of it is broad. Uh, That's the reason uh, the New King James here translates it, sexual immorality. That's a, that's a good description of what it means. It, it can encompass all manner of, uh, of, of illicit sexual activity. And Jesus appears here, and I think He does, gives that as an exception. That's an exception. Divorce is permitted in that case. First Corinthians chapter 7, Paul gives another exception for the Christian. When an when a, uh, unbelieving wife has a husband or a believing wife, rather, has a husband who's not content to dwell with her, let him go, Paul says. And he says the same about the, you know, vice versa, about the man. And he says, the woman, uh, in the case of the wife, the woman is not under bondage in that case. Now, I think uh, what he's saying there, is that divorce in that case is permitted, and if she remarries, it will not be considered adultery. And I think that because of the language he uses, he says that if a believing wife has a husband who is not content to dwell with her, that's an unbeliever who says, you know what, uh, I'm leaving, I'm, I'm, I'm not going to live with you. And by the way, he does make the case, if, if, he's, if the unbeliever is content to dwell with him, he's, then he says, remain married. In other words, you don't, you don't leave somebody because you got saved. If the unbelieving spouse is content to, to remain married, then, then you stay with them. But if they want to leave, he says, let them go. You're not under bondage in that circumstance. And if you compare that with, that's the very language that he uses in Romans 7, when, when he talks about marriage there and bondage being uh, over or broken at death. You're no longer under bondage when one of the uh, uh, either wife or husband dies. And and again, he uses the same language in 1 Corinthians 7. So I think that's another exception. If a believer has a spouse that's an unbeliever and that unbeliever chooses to leave, Paul says, Let him go. You're not under bondage. We're called to peace. Okay? So. Those are uh, the only two exceptions that I know of. However, I want to make this point, <laughs> and that is God's example. God's example, and we've already said marriage just pictures right God's relationship with His people. Now we've talked about marriage that it's designed to be permanent. But divorce is allowable under certain circumstances. And when we say allowable, let me try to make this clear too. I think Jesus says in the passage here, um, verse 9, I say to you, whoever divorces his wife except for sexual immorality and marries another commits adultery. So that's, that's kind of the issue. He's saying if you divorce and get remarried, you're committing adultery. Unless unless you you divorce for this reason sexual immorality, and again i, I would I, I think it's safe to add uh, what Paul uh, says in first Corinthians seven as another exception uh, you're not under bondage there, so you, you you separate and you remarry and it's it's not adultery, but anything other than that to remarry would be committing adultery but here's the deal boy, I have to move through this quickly, but let i this past week. I've been going back again through Hosea, and um, <laughs> that kind of puts, the, in terms of God being married to His people, we've got to picture of that throughout the Old Testament. But Hosea kind of puts it in a nutshell: Israel representing Israel being God's people there was an adulterous spouse. And God even told Hosea, the prophet Hosea, to go marry a prostitute to to illustrate what was going on there between God and His people. In other words, you have a faithful God and an unfaithful people. They are constantly whoring after false gods, right? Pursuing money. Pursuing pleasures. Pursuing... All kinds of things for the satisfaction and the pleasure that only the true living God brings. And what example does God set in all of that? In other words, He's He's got an unfaithful wife. And yet... Long story short, and you have to kind of read through the whole Testament, or at least read through the whole, whole book of Hosea, which is not a very long book. Just a few chapters. Uh, to, to, you know, there is some judgment there, and then there's repentance and so forth. But long story short, he, he keeps on coming back with repentance, and call, I mean, calling them to repentance. Coming back with mercy, calling his people to repent. And when they do, receiving them back. Isn't that astounding? The very God who says divorce is allowable in the case of fornication. That is, your spouse commits sexual immorality, then you're free. If you want to walk away from that, you're free to leave that relationship and remarry. However, that is not what God has done with us. That is not the example that He has set. Now, that's, that's astounding. If you have any inclination of what it means to be betrayed, cheated on, and then try to put that in perspective, that those sins against us, which are indeed, you know, they are offenses. They are sins. But those sins against us pale in comparison to what we do to the Holy God. To our unfaithfulness to Him. And by the way, that's one of the indictments that the Lord brings against the people of Israel in, uh, in, uh, in uh, Hosea. Is... Uh, there, there's no there's no knowledge there's no faithfulness let me Let me go back there real quick and see if I can just point out a couple of verses <clears throat> because this describes I think all of us so well, and yet in the end, God has mercy um Boy, there's so much here. Um, One example is uh, chapter 4, verse 12. Uh, My people ask counsel from their wooden idols and their staff informs them, for the spirit of harlotry has caused them to stray. Or if you go back to chapter 4, verse 1, for the Lord brings a charge against the inhabitants of the land. There is no truth or mercy or knowledge of God in the land. That word mercy, by the way, it's interesting, in the, in the English Standard Version, um, they consistently translate it, steadfast love, because that's what it means. So anytime you see that word mercy in the Old Testament, uh, think in terms of that, steadfast love. So what the Lord is saying about Israel, there is no truth or steadfast love or knowledge of God in the land. In chapter 6, verse 4, the Lord says about the children of Israel, Your faithfulness is like a morning cloud, and like the early dew, it goes away. I mean, your faithfulness, it just lasts a moment. It should be steadfast love, right? Faithfulness to the end. But the Lord says to His spouse, your faithfulness is like the morning cloud. I mean, it just burns off quick. There's nothing to it. It doesn't last any time. And it's like the early dew. It just goes away. And so he tells them in verse 6, chapter 6, verse 6, I desire steadfast love, not sacrifice, and the knowledge of God more than burnt offerings. See, they still had religion. They still had the outward show. It's like in a marriage relationship, you, you can have the outward show. You know, well, I mean, we're still together. We still wear the rings. We still go... Places together from time to time. We, we still have the same street address. Yes, but is there steadfast love there? Is there real commitment? Is there real devotion to the good of one another? This is what marriage is. It's a loving relationship between two people where each one seeks the benefit of the other. In fact, again, read Corinthians 7. Even in the area of sexuality, each spouse is to be given to the pleasure of the other. Paul clearly says, Your body's not yours. To the man, your body belongs to the wife. To the wife, your body belongs to the man. You're one. You've been joined in union. You're not your own anymore. You're part of a union of steadfast love and covenant relationship. And yet again, what we see consistently in the Old Testament, just like is the case with, with many people in, in, uh, in individual marriages, those commitments aren't taken seriously. And the people of Israel were constantly... Committing spiritual fornication or you know spiritual adultery against their God, and yet God's steadfast love remained. And that is great news for us because if you if you think you know, I mean if we can look back at the children of Israel and say boy you know um, those people just couldn't get it together and I'm glad that I'm not like that. I mean if I think that I'm deceived I, I'm. But for God's grace, I'm just as foolish as they were. Just as prone to stray. Just as prone to seek pleasure in other things. But God's love is steadfast. He marries for good. And even though He allows for divorce in in, in human relationships under certain circumstances... Not, not at, for any cause, like the Pharisees were saying, but certain, two exceptions I can think of, I know of. Two exceptions, even though he allows for divorce in human relationship, when, when those exceptions are, are, are at play, that's not what he does. He's married his church for good. Of course, he does keep us from straying. And uh, by his grace he keeps us true all right um, so that's that 's a just kind of a description definition of marriage uh, from a biblical viewpoint uh, and and why it is so significant and that ought to help us understand why perversions of it are so and should be so offensive because it's it 's an attack not just on uh, like some people want to say, uh, you know, some kind of Western institution, as though we created marriage. Um, it's not just an, an attack on a human institution. It's an attack on an institution created and designed by God for the specific purpose of displaying His own love for His people. Any perversion of marriage is an attack against uh, God's own will and plan. God Himself. Well, for the sake of time, I'm not going to be able to, to spend time on these next few verses like I had hoped to. Let me, let me simply say this. Verses 11 and 12. Not everybody is called to be married. And I do want to at least just make that point, because I don't want you to think that, well, if I'm not married, then somehow I'm missing out on the fullness of God's plan. No, 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 no. Marriage is a gift. And I would say, uh, out of the two gifts I'm about, I'm mentioning here, that's the most common one. Most people have the gift of marriage. But singleness is also a gift. There are probably fewer people that have that gift. but But that is a gift, and again, go to... Corinthians 7 and read what Paul, what the Lord says through Paul there about singleness. The, the great thing about singleness is that there are no distractions. You are able to focus entirely upon the, the Lord. And Paul was even encouraging people to be single. Paul was single and he was encouraging other people to be single for that reason. But he did put that stipulation, just like Jesus does here, if you have that gift. So let me just say this and, and hopefully be clear about it. If 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 you are single, um, there's no shame in that. Just just devote all your attention to the Lord. That's the great thing about being single. You can do that. Serve God with your whole heart, and and you don't have the other distractions. Um, and and if you so desire, if you're gifted to do so, remain single to the glory of God. On the other hand, if you don't have that gift, then you need to be married. You say, well, that's easy to say. Well, hey, God will provide um, a partner. But if, if you don't have the gift of singleness, you need to be married. And there's no dishonor either way. I mean, you, you know, you say, well, uh, I, I, would like to, I, I would like to say I, I could serve God with no distractions, but, I, but I, you know, unfortunately I need to be married. Well, mar- marriage is a gift. Enjoy it as a gift. There's no dishonor there. Singleness is a gift. Enjoy it as a gift from God. There's no dishonor there. If, if you're single, you're still married to Christ. And that is the most important thing. There's what I'm going to call a common enabler here in these last few verses. And I, it's interesting to me that Jesus comes back to this, or Matthew does in his account. Little children were, were brought to Jesus uh, in verse 13 that He might put His hands on them and bless them, that uh, is the idea here, and pray. The disciples tried to keep Him away. You know, don't bother Him, He's busy, that kind of thing. In verse 14, uh, Jesus says, Let the little children come to Me. And, uh, and by now we ought to be familiar with this, what He's saying here, because we, we talked a great deal about this in the last chapter. Let the little children come to Me, and do not forbid them, for of such is the kingdom of heaven. So again, he, he, he makes, brings that issue to the surface. Um, in fact, me, just a quick reminder, uh, verse, chapter 18, verse 3, Assuredly, I say to you, unless you are converted and become as little children, you will by no means enter the kingdom of heaven. And, and again, here in verse 14, Jesus says, such is the kingdom of heaven. Well, we talked about that. What does it mean to be childlike? It's it's just the idea of, of of being able to trust in a childlike manner. That is, trust God just like little children trust. Tend to be to be uh, trusting. Well, that's what I would call the the common enabler here. In other words, if you're married, how how are you gonna how are you gonna do how are you gonna live out what Jesus is talking about here? How are you gonna stay married? Or, and how are you going to fulfill your marriage obligations, which are outlined in so many places, like Ephesians 5 and 1 Corinthians 7? How am I going to love my wife as Christ loved the church? How am I going to render due benevolence to her? You know, understand that my body belongs to her and it's not mine. And that's what that's talking about there, by the way. How am I going to fulfill my marriage commitment in every aspect, sexually, Emotionally, um, monetarily, you know, in terms of providing for the family, the, the wife and the family, how am I going to do all that? I, ha- I must depend on Christ. So the enabler is childlike faith. And it's the same for single people. How are you going to live? The Christian life, if you have the gift of singleness, that doesn't mean that there will never be any temptation. I think being gifted in that way just means that um, in spite of the temptation, you're able to do it and be satisfied. But, But how is that going to be? Well, again, you're going to have to have childlike trust and faith in Christ. For of such is the kingdom of heaven. So, if you're a child of the kingdom, whether you are married, whether you have a spouse or not, you must live in total dependence upon Christ. Dependent upon the grace of God. That's that's the way all Christians live. For such is the kingdom of heaven. Would you stand, please? Again, first and foremost, and and this is the whole point behind the marriage relationship, first and foremost, as believers, we are married to Christ. Christ. So really, there's not a person in this room that doesn't have a spouse. <laughs> as we all do. As the church, we're the bride of Christ. As, as this church, Fillmore Baptist Church, we're a part of the bride of Christ. And so we're called to live in total devotion to Him. In total dependence upon Him. Enjoy. And don't miss this. Enjoy His steadfast love for us. Listen, isn't it good to know Malachi says God hates divorce. Now, if you're married to God, and we are as the church, isn't it good to know He hates divorce? His love is steadfast. Paul makes the case in Romans that nothing can separate us from the love of God which is in Christ Jesus. If you're in Christ, you're in the love of God. And if you're in the love of God, you're you're there forever. It is a lifelong covenant relationship. And in this case, the life is eternal. Eternal, lifelong covenant relationship. Let's pray. This sermon is made available through the ministry of Fillmore Baptist Church in Princeton, Louisiana. Our desire is to faithfully proclaim the message of salvation which God has provided in the life, death, and resurrection of Jesus Christ our Lord. For more resources and information, please visit our website at www.fillmorebaptist.org. You may use the links there to contact us or write us at Fillmore Baptist Church, 6304 Highway 80. Princeton, Louisiana, 71067.